Bum ba dum bum 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 bum. What are you doing? You've been playing in the game for fifty sessions. Yeah, it's been fun. But why does that warrant a celebration? Don't you remember a long time ago when we did the session zero for the campaign? I mean, sort of. What? Why? What about it? I, I told everyone there that if if they ever got through. 50 sessions that they would be promoted to being the DM. I I don't remember that. And now, being the longest person on this campaign, I bequeath to you the crown. I what no, I started at the same time as everyone else. Wait, is this why Sam quit last week? This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about making the transition from being a player to being a DM. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And before we begin, we've got a couple of things that we need to talk about. First off, bum ba bum 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 Not again. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, just want to recognize that Danielle is now the, the longest-termed co-host of this show, um, this is this this puts her over the edge this episode. So congratulations, Daniel. I've enjoyed working with you. I just wanted to take a moment to to say congratulations. Oh, thanks, John. It's been fun. Cool. And uh, the other thing that we want to talk about is this episode was actually suggested by a listener named Steve, and he sent uh, a note along with it. And I thought it would make sense to read through the note because there's. There's some things that I think it makes sense for us to refer back to, to talk to as we as we go through this. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and read that. Uh, and so here is the, the message from Steve. I recently switched from longtime player to first-time GM for a different group of players. I had a falling out with my forever GM and left that group. Around the same time, a former player from another group chatted with me about how cool it would be to have a one-time-per-month group of just adults. I thought it over and decided I'm GMing. I reached out to the romantic partners of each of three players who were friends together and past co-workers to me. Uh, the partners all agreed the players would have time, and I, and I brought in another guy to play as a fourth player. I picked a starting module and told the players a bit about the setting. I have no idea if I did things right, but would love your feedback. So I, I gotta say, like first off, reading this, I, I I read I read the beginning of the sentence that that is, um, I reached out to the romantic partners of each of the three players, and I I really thought that Steve was gonna tell us that he was trying to recruit them in, but <laughs> I gotta say that's a big move to 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 reach out and say, hey, um, does Tony actually have time to play this game? Are you are you gonna like pull him out of the game if he starts playing it? And and I will say I've. I've never heard of a of a of a DM doing that, but that's actually kind of cool. What do you think? I think it's pretty excellent, especially since uh, I believe that Steve uh, knew these people like mm-hmm. to start with, and so that's that that works out well. Especially the you know you're not uh, you're not going to run into any problems. I've had a number of of uh, people join my game, and they're so excited about it, and they're like, "Oh, we're going to play, we're going to play." And then, like, two weeks later, they're like, no, oh, my significant other says I can't. 
and yeah. then they they just leave. <laughs> and, and as much as we would like to 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 think that uh, that players will will like check in with scheduling with people in their lives to make sure that things work out, it doesn't always happen. So this is kind of as a DM being very proactive to make sure that your game is going to. Uh, hopefully be successful. So um, kudos to you on that, Steve. I, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I will say second, you you asked like uh, if, if you were, uh, you had no idea if you're doing things right. It sounds like you've, you've kind of gotten started. It sounds like people are having fun. I think that, that that's kind of the key thing is, as, as we've talked about several times on this show, if you're, if you're, if you're having fun, if you're, if it works for the group that you're doing it, then then sure, it's it's right. Um, but I do like the idea of of this topic for an episode. So I think um, we're going to continue on with it, and we'll talk about some stuff. Maybe there's some stuff that uh, that Steve hears that that he'd like to integrate. Maybe he's like, "Oh, I, I got all this stuff. We're, we're good." Uh, but whatever it is, I think it was a great idea for uh, for an episode. For those of you listening at home that are hearing this, if you've got an idea for a future episode that you'd like us to talk on, please make sure to go to becomingdm.com slash ideas and submit them. It's a real simple form. Uh, you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Tell us if you want to potentially be a, be a, a guest co-host for it. And uh, and then we can we can uh, look it over. And if it worked for the show, we'll we'll get it recorded. So. Uh, make sure to go to becomingdm.com slash ideas. And that's backslash, not referring to chopping ideas into tiny pieces. Forward slash, forward slash. Forward slash? <laughs> yeah. I can never get them right. <laughs> you, the one that goes from one side to the, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Where the bottom is on the left and the top is on the right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Danielle, I, I'm going to, let's go ahead and, and jump into the, the topic at hand, and I'm going to hand it over to you. Perfect. Um, so I think the most important question, the question on everybody's minds is who can make the switch to being a DM from a player? Um, and I think the easiest answer about that is that probably not anyone under the age of two. And I think that about covers it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, I don't no, know. I, Maybe I, you have a gifted one-year-old that could really be a good DM. You never know. That's true, but but <laughs> uh, a broad vocabulary can be can come in so helpful. Uh, <laughs> but long story short, I think everybody can pretty much become a DM. Um, there's there's really it's a it's not a difficult game to like get into being the DM, uh, especially if you've played before. And you're you're gonna try and run a game. You've already got a huge head start, even if you've only played one game. Um, at least you've you've seen it happen, you've experienced it, and it's a it's a lot more to go off of than say let's take something like uh, football or American football. And somebody, if you've never seen it, you've you've only heard people kind of talk about it, and somebody hands you the a manual that says here go play football with your friends, and you've got to read it and figure out how to run it. It's going to be a lot easier to do that if you've seen it happen once, and so that's just going to give you a huge huge head start if you've if you've played in one game. And I'm assuming that most people who switch to DMing or a fair amount of them, anyways, have uh, played in more than one game for sure. 
and you don't have to limit it to American football. It's it, any football will do. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I guess I could have not specified, and it would have been the exact same story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that that like my background, I started off as a player as well. I had a I had a friend one day invite me over to his house and he showed me this new game that he got and he ran through some games and I played in games with a couple of people and then found myself in a situation where uh, the people that were running my games were not available and and I had a group of people that wanted to play and so I, I stepped in and, and did it. So I, I think that's a fairly common way to get into it. Not the only mean, means by any by any means. Uh, we'll say means twice there. But, mm-hmm. but it is, I think, fairly common to do that. I think that's kind of how it happened for me was uh, we just couldn't couldn't jive schedules with uh, with the person who was DMing before. And I just kind of plopped something together and I ran my first game and I thought, well, well now. This is much better. <laughs> and I, and I, I don't think I've actually played in a game since. <laughs> well, and I, it, it's interesting that you say the much better because that's that's one of the things I think about is is as somebody that has, has played in the game and seen multiple people run games and stuff like that, uh, you you can you can get a, an idea for the things that you think work well and things that you think don't work well. It may not be everybody's same opinion. But at least it gives you some ideas of things that you might want to implement in your game as you as you move forward. So I, I think that also kind of lends itself to to helping you you step into the game and be your own uh, own DM uh, rather than just copying what everybody else is doing. It really does. Everybody's got uh, like the flavor that they like, things that they implement or take away, and uh, and I mean that's that's just with the rules. But I mean any. Chances are anybody who's playing this game has at least one creative bone in their body. And so that you're going to be able to carry that stuff through. Just every time you've ever thought of a character concept, just do that. But like on a like lighter scale, but for a hundred villagers and you're fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I think that I, I think that a lot of people can can get uh scared uh concerned whatever because maybe they've got creativity for these characters but they don't feel like they've got big picture creativity like to have these these world spanning plot lines and stuff like that first off they don't all have to be world spanning plot lines they can they can just as, as easily be these be simpler uh done in a done in a session plot lines that just tie in with the next session uh also if if you just are really concerned about it there's lots of published adventures that you can leverage that that they still are going to require some creativity on your part as a DM to give life to the words on the page, but a lot of the the heavy lift is already taken care of. Yeah, it absolutely should. And just to speak more to that, some people might be worried about if they struggle with the big picture thing. I just want to... I once ran a campaign. It went for five levels. There was one town with 18 people in it. And the only bad guy, essentially, was rats. There was a rat problem. And it was it was a hilarious game. There was tons of stuff going on. Lots of rat problems. It was, it was an awesome time. Everybody got a kick out of it. You don't need to have a big picture. You can just toss some rats in a town and call it good and just let the <laughs> shenanigans fly. <laughs> well, and, and even if you want a bigger picture than, than rats in a town, I, I will say that, that 
Ninety percent of the of the big picture things that I do in my games are not there at the beginning. I have some. Oh yeah. I have some thoughts of like things that might be larger boulders that get moved around, um, but a lot of it comes from theories from players and and stuff like that. Where I'll hear something that they say, I'm like, oh. That sounds interesting, and if I do that and I change it up a little bit like this, this could be a plot point. And and so, um, and also just the cha- the choices that your characters make will 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 sometimes change what's important in your game. So it, it helps not to get too over your skis on I'm gonna be super creative and have all these awesome massive plot lines that nobody pays attention to. <laughs> yeah, you really gotta watch out for that. Um, but yeah, you're right. A lot of a lot of the awesome big boulders kind of come through uh, inspiration during gameplay or between gameplay. I've never sat down and wrote an entire campaign and thought, or and and taken that to the table and had like none of the big big pieces um, adapt. I guess to the game would be the best way of putting it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, they kind of stand as pillars or whatever, but. They kind of they kind of get chiseled as uh, as you move closer to them, and by the time your party actually gets to them, you've you've built a model out of them instead of just a marble slab. Yep. Um, I, I think we've been talking about like who can be a DM, but I, I do think that there's a very important discussion that we need to have about who shouldn't be a DM because everybody can be, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should be. And and we're not trying to to gatekeep anyone, but it. These are kind of some questions that you should ask yourself before you commit to that. And mm-hmm. I, I think the one that, that sticks out in my mind the most, the thing that that really is there is, is you need to make sure that you have time outside of your regular sessions that you can d- devote some to the game. And I'm not saying you need 40 hours to devote to it, but you need to have something that you're going to be able to, to do a little bit of work on. Because even though... Um, as we talked about in episode 48 and 49, that's becoming dm.com slash EP 48 and slash EP 49, um, that you can improv a lot of it. There's still kind of a, some prep that happens between the game because you need to track what, what got improv to make sure that you're not completely destroying pieces of your world and overwriting lore that you've already established with previous improv and stuff like that. So there is documentation. There's understanding how things fit together. Um, and then if you've got a little bit more, a little less improv, there's, there's a little bit more work to, to define some of this stuff. So I, I do think that you do need time, uh, to, to do this. So I, I, I always, I always use the term brutally honest, be brutally honest with yourself. Do I actually have time to do this? Yet you actually have to have consistent time. And that's where the brutally honest thing comes in, because if you think, well, no, I could have fit in, you know, an hour or so this week or whatever your time frame is. Um, and but you have to think about that over the course of, you know, how often are your sessions happening and do you have that chunk of time available consistently between all of these sessions? Because as much as it's like, well, no, every once in a while I've I've got like a whole afternoon yeah, but if that doesn't happen kind of between your sessions, you could be running by the seat of your pants and not have a map for your players or, you know, what, et cetera. And, and doing that occasionally is fine. Uh, I, oh, I it think happens that, from time to time. Yeah, I, I think that if you do it regularly, eventually it will catch up to you. And eventually the players will notice. And eventually the players will say, well, what gives? Like, 
I, I thought we were playing a game. It, it just feels like we're not really doing anything because it doesn't seem like you've prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll definitely catch up with you eventually. Um, you can, I, I'm speaking from my own personal experience. I love improv DMing. Uh, it's, it's my favorite thing to do, but you're right. You do need at least some prep time in the meantime and in between time. Um, you can cut it down by kind of uh, not making nice maps or things, but push comes to shove when you're designing an encounter. There's a reason why it's called designing an encounter. Uh, because if you're just like, right, uh, four goblins here, two goblins there, and go. Uh, you could miss some very good opportunities for some excitement. And if everything kind of stays status quo, then it, it kind of gets bland after a while. Well, and just like we talked about in our last episode about about making combat more interesting... There are a lot of things that can go into making combat interesting. And if you wait until the last minute to plan out encounters, then you're going to end up with, with the soccer balling thing where, where everybody just gangs up on, on one thing because there's not, there's not terrain, there's not layered enemies, there's not, there's not all of these other things that you could add in to make it an interesting combat uh, encounter. Mm-hmm. Plus backup plans. Ooh. Yep. <laughs> uh, I think the next reason that that you probably shouldn't be a DM is if you're not ready to cede control of story direction to your players. And and this is, I think, kind of a big one because uh, back to that, that planning these big world-spanning arcs, this is one of the reasons I don't recommend doing that because the players are going to make choices that change the direction of the story. And if you spend all this time doing that and you're not willing to let your players change that, you're writing a novel. You're not playing a role-playing game. And and so if you want to write a novel, go do that. <laughs> uh, but but understand that, that, the, that you need to incorporate the choices the player's making into the story, which will change what the story outcomes are. It really does. And that's why having, like, not, not that you'll always have it, but knowing that you will generally consistently have a chunk of time between sessions that you can work on things because the amount of things that players will change that you, that I personally, I can't speak to anybody else, but that I personally had no concept that players could just, I'm like, there's this thing that's happening six provinces over and I can plan <laughs> that out because, and then for some reason they're like, Oh, you know what though? Um, we're going to explode the city. It's like, but it's over there. It's like, no, we worked it out. It's fine. And and it's just like, oh, well, the, my entire story changes now. And the um, the stuff that they can do to your story is <laughs> mind-boggling. Uh, we sent a messenger. That six provinces over, they'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what else? What else, Danielle? What else do you think uh, would be indica- indicative that, that you maybe shouldn't be a, a DM? I think something that uh, a lot of people kind of uh, might not realize is that when you're the DM, you are really out of the spotlight. Like, or in my opinion, I guess I should say, you should kind of be out of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Push comes to sh- like, I gotta stop saying that. It's it's the <laughs> I say it too much. It's the players. It's the PC's story, right? The player characters. It's their story. They're moving through your world. So the last time I read a novel and I really cared, like truly cared, emotionally cared about the the dwarven crafting of that chunk of rock over there 
or the fields of green, it's a nice for the setting. But what you really care about is is the players, and they've got the you know the pure spotlight. It's 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 their story. It's what they're doing. It's their feelings, their emotions, their journey, and you're just kind of facilitating the world around it. And a lot of the times, um, I find for myself, at least as a DM, I'm I'm very rarely in the spotlight unless I'm you know we're, we've finally gotten to the. The, the big bad or something and i and i finally get to drop that monologue that i wrote eight <laughs> years ago you know <laughs> and uh and in that case then some some of the spotlight comes back on me but otherwise for the most part like i'm i'm role-playing grass i'm not uh i'm not the spotlight person yeah and if you think about it you you may have npcs that are part of your campaign that will be close to the spotlight for a period of time the the party may become attached to them but in my mind, an NPC has a few purposes. One is to provide information and quests to to the players. Two is to get them attached so that they can tragically die and have the party want to avenge them. I, I think those are like two core reasons for an NPC. So they, they shouldn't be dead center in the spotlight because eventually they're going to go away for one of those two reasons. Yeah. Yeah. but uh yeah so they don't end up being main storyline characters except for to give people motivation from an emotional standpoint (laughs) or just general quests like uh uh there's a wolf attacking my sheep can you go deal with that and it turns out to be a dragon oh no Um, comic relief is a third one i would say comic relief and and in that case they're going to provide the comic relief then and then they'll be gone (laughs) (laughs) definitely handy to toss in for uh for a little bit of comic relief so let's let's dig into some of the things that that we need to do when we're getting started moving from player to dm and I, i think that one of the first key things is is really understand that this is a different kind of role than being a player at the table. And sure, there's there's things that that as a player you've watched and you've under you understand are are definitely part of a DM's role. They're running all the NPCs, playing the monsters, participating in combat against the players, responding to those player actions. Um, and and probably some prep for sessions. You probably maybe think that it's a lot less than it is, but but there's there's probably some level of awareness that there's prep for sessions there. But there's also things that are that are uh, that you may be less aware of, less um, that is less forefront of of what you think of when you think of what a DM does. Uh, what are some of those things, Daniel? I think probably one of the biggest ones is, well, and see, here's the thing, is that everybody's well aware that as the DM, uh, you're kind of like the rules person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're you're running the game, but you're also running the group. Yep. Right? So the, the game is the group. Without the group, you don't have the game. And anytime that you stuff a bunch of people in a small room together around a table for hours on end and make them talk about things, uh, stuff will eventually happen and conflict will arise and it's just i've seen it happen time and time again it at first when i first started dming it actually completely threw me off because there were there were these two players at the table and they got into a disagreement and the entire table looked to me to to resolve this personal not game related (laughs) conflict that these two people were having 
And you're like, guys, I'm playing the same game you are. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I and and it just kind of kept happening where everybody just and it's I think it's because they're so used to it happening at the game table that you just kind of become like the conflict resolver, whether that's goblins or or Tom, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so but that is that is something that I found very surprising is yeah. that you will end up doing conflict management um, between your players, between yourself and your players, not just in a gameplay sense. Yeah, and and that conflict management extends beyond when you're at the table. I will I will 100% tell you that. I've received emails from players saying I didn't like how so and so responded to me and I don't feel like I'm appreciated and and having to kind of be a little bit of a relationship counselor between these two players or three players or whatever to mend fences and and keep the keep the game going because I, I think that ultimately that's that's what the the conflict management kind of dovetails into you're for better or worse kind of responsible for keeping the game going uh, because mm-hmm. a lot of times players will just assume well I'm not. I'm not doing all these things, so I don't have to worry about it. I'll just show up when you tell me to, and maybe I won't. And if if I, if I don't, it's not that big of a deal. And so a lot of this, like, making sure that the game stays on, on track it kind of falls in your lap. And hopefully you've got some players that will pick up the sticks for some of these things, but in a lot of cases that doesn't happen. Yeah, in a lot of cases it doesn't happen. And uh, like you said, it's it's – you're kind of just running well you're running the group right mm-hmm. and you said you know people message be like oh you know or maybe i show up maybe i don't uh which which i think it's also important to mention that i feel like as the dm or gm uh schedule management comes it it kind of comes with the title for some reason um I guess it kind of makes sense cuz without a dm or gm that you you literally can't play at at the and, very least, it is your job as the DM to delegate schedule management to some someone else. Though frequently, it still lands on your lap. Yeah, you kind of have to oversee it, and I I think that that usually comes because you have to be there. Yeah, you're the one person who can't call in sick and still have the game run. Yep. I um yeah, and and. There, there are ways to take the burden of that off to some extent, but it, it's still got to happen. So something something has to happen. We just do it at the end of our game. We, we say, everybody open up your calendar. Let's talk about when we're going to meet next. Great. And then I set a reminder for myself to text everybody a couple of days before. Hey, just making sure everybody's coming to this thing. And that's my uh, schedule management. Uh, I, so a lot of it's still... I still do uh, do a lot of the actions, but it's less burdensome because everybody just says, here's what I've got available, and then we agree on it and move forward. And then uh, some of the things that, 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 that maybe don't get considered, I know we talked about uh, understanding that the preparing for sessions. I also have out-of-session out of prep as something that, that is not known about because out-of-session prep could be a lot of different things. It could be planning out storylines sure but it could also be like hey uh um sally did this really weird thing at the last session and i wasn't sure how the rules were for it now i need to go look up the rules for it before the next session when she tries to do it again uh <laughs> stuff like that comes up all the time 
but it could also be um, looking up the mechanics of how something works because you heard players talking about wanting to do some neat kooky thing with a with a wagon and a battering ram and something else. <laughs> but there 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 is a fair amount of stuff that that can go on outside the game beyond just planning for for the story, right? Oh, it very much can. When you were saying that, it made me think about because uh, you had mentioned in conflict management that you've you've received um, messages and notifications and stuff mm-hmm. from your players before. And when you're talking about out of session prep, there's there's you know the standard session prep that we're all aware of. But I I'm also I'm I'm not sure how aware most people are, or I don't know if this happens to everybody else. My players message me a lot outside of games. <laughs> Because they'll get this idea, like some sort of battering ram thing, and I'll get this message. We always play on Friday, and so I'll get this message like Tuesday morning at 7.30 a.m. I had this idea last night, and I want to know what you think about it. I'm going to buy a battering ram. I'm like, oh, <laughs> good morning. Yes, okay, let's think about that. And uh, and so there's also, as much as you're making these rule calls at the table, I also end up making these these rule calls and doing these these mini um, research sessions uh, throughout the week, pretty much every week, probably, well, probably every other week, um, these miniature research sessions, it's like, I don't know how, how effective would a grappling hook be at restraining a cow? Let's figure that out. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and in a lot of ways, I don't, I definitely don't mind players messaging me this because if I have to do 15 minutes of research to figure out how grappling hooks impact cows, um, that would slow down the game. Yep. So doing some of this stuff outside a session can be very helpful, but it also is an additional piece of, of I guess you could classify it sort of as out-of-session prep. Yeah, well, another another like thing that I consider out-of-session is when certain players want to do things on the sly and they'll message you in between sessions oh, yeah. and be like, oh, hey, by the way, I wanted to send a secret letter to my faction and I want to code it like this so that that it's in code that they can understand it, basically telling them that the field is open for them to come and take over this part of the country uh, because we just we just had this thing and and our normal payoff rates will apply. And <laughs> I, I, I say that because that's one I've experienced. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it's almost like you're you're. And this that, that that doesn't happen as often because it it can frequently only happen when we're in town, have some downtime, stuff like that. But it does happen from time to time. And so it's almost like you are continuing to run these mini sessions occasionally outside of the, the main session as well. It really, really is. It's kind of fun sometimes because uh, it kind of just throws you back into the session. But other times you're like at Thanksgiving dinner and you're like, oh, I don't know how to answer this right now. Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way. Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. 
You can even let us know that you'd like to be a, a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. I think one of the one of the key things to do early on, and we talk about this a lot with running session zero, but I, I think that there's an additional layer when you're, especially if you're moving from being a player within a group of other players that you're going to now DM for, uh, you need to meet with them, and and I, I think that there's a there's a few things to do because you're you're a first time DM, you've got your ideas as we've said before about what you consider good, bad, and ugly that the, the previous DM did. But those are just your opinions. So if you completely commit to all of your opinions and nothing else, you may be dropping the ball on what what the players are find important. So I, I do think that that it it makes sense to have a discussion with them, whether it's asynchronously via email or a survey or actually having a, a conversation on the phone or in person to say, hey, what did you like and not like about the previous DM? And this might be a little bit touchy if the DM is now one of the players. <laughs> so, so, so I just approach it tactfully. And, and, but if you find out that stuff, you, you know, first off, like I need to keep doing these kinds of things. I need to stop doing these kinds of things. And I need to start doing these other kinds of things because that was something that wasn't being done. And that's a, it's a good thing to kind of get a handle on for like a broad spectrum. It also, if you can do this session zero, like if you're planning on planning your own campaign, if you can do this type of session zero before you start planning, so a couple weeks in advance or Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you need, um, then you can kind of tailor the entire campaign, um, to that flavor. Yeah. And, and just, it's all kind of really the core of this is to help help you understand what everybody at the table, yourself included, thinks of as a good DM. Because Mm -hmm. I I, I don't think enough DMs take a moment to do this. Even experienced DMs, I I think, need to do this at the beginning of a game if possible to just like, hey, tell me if we were were 20 sessions into this and, and you were having the time of your life, what were the things that I would be doing to make that happen? And it yeah, well, it's kind it's kind of like an interviewee kind of question that you ask like well, tell me about my performance and stuff like that. But I, I do think it it's valuable to to understand that because honestly sometimes you might get some answers that you're like I'm not doing that and and so it, it helps <laughs> to be able to know that so you can communicate like it, that's not going to happen if that's what you really want to have out of the game it's it's just not going to happen. But I think in a lot of cases it's more just paying attention to some some smaller things that can help you improve yourself as a DM. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you never know what people are going to say. I had uh, I had a group once, and I I asked them this question. I was like, "What do you What do you want for a DM? What kind of game do you want?" And I thought that this group was going to be like a super serious group of people, and like unanimously, well, actually, that's not true. Three out of four players said we want to kidnap chickens and huck them out of cannons <laughs> right that was like their idea of fun and one of them was like i want political intrigue i was like i don't <laughs> i don't know if this is gonna work guys <laughs> the chickens are in power ruling over the land 
There yeah, we go. Like, that's, that's our tie-in. A, a little bit touchy, and uh, but it's also a really good thing to find out. But when you're heading into things, is uh, and and not every DM is suited to every player. Yep. So find that out with your friends. Yeah. I think that that when you're having this conversation, you you do need to. This still kind of goes into session zero stuff, but I think it's equally important here. Talk about the cadence. How often are you going to get together? Because it may seem really cool to run a weekly game, but it can be super difficult to keep up uh, unless you just have a good bit of spare time every week that you're going to dedicate outside of the session, and that everybody agrees that the it's going to happen every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever day of the week. Um, it, it can be really difficult to keep up from both the DM and the player perspective. So It really is. This goes back to being brutally honest about what all of your commitments are so that you can choose something that works for you, um, not only for running the session, but all the planning that happens outside of it. Yeah, you don't want to soak up your time too much. Uh, how much time? Here's a, Here's a question for you. If uh, so, there's there's low prep, medium prep, and high prep games. On mm-hmm. average, how much time? Say you're running a five hour session. How how long do you prep for that session? Um, I would probably say it depends on the session. Um, probably an hour. Uh, but but depending upon the the players and what they do, that hour could go to two sessions. Uh, because maybe they just took longer to get to some of the things that they thought they were going to get to. Uh, but yeah, usually about an hour. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not too much time then. But but I I will say that I I have an hour because I set up a lot of the framework at the beginning of the campaign. So I put a lot of once I've established what people are looking for, what things that they're they're excited about. I put a lot of like seedling framework stuff in there so that so that my my week to week prep gets minimized. Um, so I, I I know where things are roughly. I know some kind of key large things that are in the world. They may not be fully fleshed out, but I, I at at a when I'm when I'm put to it, I can give a little bit of information to to whet the appetite of the players. So um, it, it it doesn't it does matter on on your approach. Yeah. Yeah, you can use uh, the lure of mystery to hide that you have no idea uh, <laughs> with great effectiveness. It's like, oh, you are unsure, but you seem to recall the scent of roses. And you're like, I, I only remember that this thing's pink, and I guess now it smells like roses. And you can just run with that, but they'll never know. All right, so uh, we talked about uh, the Cadence, how about setting expectations? I kind of started touching on this before, but it's just something that's worth mentioning, especially if you're playing with friends or people that you've known for a long time. Mm-hmm. Having these conversations that we were kind of talking about before and getting all of this set out ahead of time, make sure that this is going to work. And if it starts going sideways, just kibosh the whole thing because it could all just kind of blow up or it could be really fun. So it's it's definitely worth trying. But if it starts feeling a little bit touch and go, uh, it just might not be the right fit. Well, and I think I that know. also when you're you're setting expectations, um, having that conversation with with your friends and saying, "Hey guys, the first time I've I've, I've done this, please be kind. Uh, I mm. may need help from time to time remembering a rule. Uh, just be 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 gentle." Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> 
One of the other things that I think might be an interesting thing to do, because I, I know that a lot of people that that move from the player to the DM role may have concerns because they've seen the DMs that they've played with be the forever DM. And, and they're like, I want to DM, but I don't want to do it forever. I still want to be a player from time to time. So one of the things you can do to set expectations is like, I plan on doing this for six months, a year, whatever, whatever that time frame is. And, and I, I don't think that's a problem, but I think that's something that a lot of people avoid doing because they're concerned about upsetting players or whatever. But if, if you want to just DM for a little bit and then get back to being a player, set those expectations, say, this is how, I, how long I want to do it for after this, I'm going to step back and somebody else will have to take the reins. Bum, ba, da, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, that, that can work fabulously, especially if you don't have somebody in the group who wants to be a forever DM or mm-hmm. who just wants a break. Um, but having a rotating DM schedule, uh, can actually be quite a bit of fun. Uh, the way that I, I only did this once long time ago, but, uh, there was, there was four people. And the weird thing was, I, I realized it's a weird group scenario, but everybody wanted to be the DM. Wow. Yeah. It's, I don't, I don't know how it happened. I, I, I came from a much different experience between the player versus DM, you know, (laughs) Um, uh, ratios but everybody wanted to be the dm and so we did end up having to do the x long and so every person got x amount of sessions so you'd have four sessions and then you had to switch and somebody else got to do it yeah very cool um if if that works for the group that's great and one thing i will say is if if you say i'm going to do it for six months and you get to six months and you're having the time of the time of your life Nothing says that you can't take that back and be like, "Hey, I'm I'm having fun, guys. I'm going to keep doing this." But but if you're if you if you have concerns, that's a great way to to limit and let everybody know what your limit is, so that you can step out after a period of time once you've given it a shot and feel like feel like you you've tried it out and can decide whether it's for you or not. It's definitely a good little safety net. Yep. Um. The other thing that we recommend doing uh, when when you're getting started is you plan on doing some reading. Uh, I, I, I know that in in episode one, we talked about you don't have to know all the rules. And, and I, I would still say you don't have to know all the rules. But at the same time, I would highly recommend reading through them because what will happen is your former DM may have highly customize the rules or just customize some very critical rules that you didn't know were customized because, Hey, he's the DM. He knows what he's doing. He's, he's done this stuff. So reading through can at least give you visibility to that. If you want to keep, keep running with the rules changed in that way, you absolutely can, but arm yourself with that knowledge so that, uh, so that you actually know what, 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 what's different um, and that way, if you have people coming from other games, they're not like, what, what the heck are you doing? Why, <laughs> why, why are you using Thacko in, in 5e? Uh- <laughs> you know, <'cause>, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It is important to have that, that level of knowledge, mostly so that especially, well, I, I'd say especially when you have somebody who's played in a different campaign um, in that version or edition or whatever, and they come over to your game, you say, listen, 
these are the house rules. And so these are things that may or may not be different from your other campaigns. they basically kind of have to abide by them because it's the world and you're the world and yay, go you. Um, although, I mean, if nobody likes them, then you might have to change them. Well, and uh, if, but, you, if you don't know that they're house rules, that's where you can get yourself into trouble. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and being able to give people those house rules um, is super, super handy, especially when you have experienced players coming to your table. Yeah. Uh, so I think the next thing we're going to talk about is is what to run maybe when you first started. And I'm going to have you kick us off here, Danielle. Well, if this is truly your first time running a game, uh, it might be definitely worth it to just try a one-shot. Whether you make it yourself or or you you buy one. You, you don't even have to buy one. You can just Google one-shot and mm-hmm. like a hundred of them will show up. But it's a really great way to try out the DM... GM side of the table without having to commit a bunch of time and and planning and effort and creativity to the task of it or maybe even money <laughs> or money yeah yeah I, I think that I, I think that for those of you that have listened to, to more than a couple of episodes you 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 probably understand that, that Danielle and I are, are fans of the one shot uh, just because it allows you to try out and experiment and do so many things that, that maybe, even if you're an experienced DM, that maybe you wouldn't have the chance to try. Um, for, for a new DM, it's, it's a great way to, to learn some rules in a, a fairly low-impact situation because if you make some really boneheaded calls and the whole party dies, well, it was a one-shot. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one-shot and maybe it'll get better. <laughs> Yeah, you weren't going to be able to use that character again anyways. Um, or, you know, tell a story about how they healed themselves in the off time. So it doesn't really matter. It's just a one shot. Yeah. It's over. Yeah, but I think one of the key reasons to do this is you you are trying something new. You don't know if, if this is something that you're actually going to enjoy. Sure, it may look like fun looking at, at, at Danielle sitting at the table, screaming at the players to just roll the dice. But <laughs> but, but getting into the seat, you you may decide, yeah, I don't I don't like the conflict management. I don't like the the tracking, how I have to track this stuff. It's just not what I thought it was, and I want to back out. Um, by doing a one shot, that's great. You you do the one session, you figure it out, and and you're out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I also I'm just gonna throw this in there because as much I am a huge fan of one shots, I think that they have a wonderful place in D and D, uh, and Pathfinder and such, but. Even with like TV shows, I will always watch two episodes of a show mm-hmm. before I before I finalize my judgment. And so I just want to throw that out there is like if the if your first session is uncomfortable and you're you're you know struggling a little bit, if you didn't hate it, like if you did it and you're like I hate this and I never want to do this again and and you know you just you just you just didn't like it at all then yeah, probably finish off with that one shot. But even if you're so, so unsure, well, maybe, maybe not try again, maybe with a different one shot, maybe something you make on your own. Yeah, I would agree. Um, One experience does not, uh, does not necessarily tell you how it's going to work out for you. Maybe the one shot that you, that you picked wasn't a great one shot. Maybe it wasn't a great one shot for, for new play, new DMs. Maybe it just wasn't great for, for the party. Um, whatever the reason is, if you do a second one shot and and it still sucks, 
well, then maybe that tells you that, 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 that it's not for you. Or maybe it tells you maybe you need to do a third one. But whatever the reason is, um, try the one shots are still great. Just do more than one. Uh, if that makes sense. <laughs> Two one shot. Yes. Not to be cons- not to be confused with the twenty one shot. <laughs> it's much different. There's a whole <laughs> space in there. Um, yeah. I, I think one of the benefits of, of doing the one shots though is because a lot of them are really designed to be in one session. They are very structured. They're very regimented. They're very on the rails. So uh, it 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 reduces from your perspective as the DM. It reduces the amount of improv that you have to do, and it makes it easier to prep for because the 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 steps are kind of kind of like a door of the explorer. We go to the bridge, we go to the lighthouse, and we get to grandma's house, and. <laughs> And and you got we know that, that those... from the map, didn't you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> we we know that those are the steps, so that's what the party's going to do, and and they're and and you you keep it on the rails. So it's 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 actually an experience that if you just want to do the mechanics with a with a with a less of an emphasis on on improv and having to think a lot on your feet, it's a great way to get involved in the game. Mm-hmm. It's definitely. Probably one of the quickest and easiest ways to dip your toe into dungeon mastering. Um, but you're also not restricted to one-shots if if that doesn't sound like it's your jam. You can always run even like one of the full published adventures. And here's the side note to that is you can find one-shots on, like I said before, the internet on, I don't know, saving chickens from a wolf it doesn't really matter <laughs> you you know you run in your party runs in they get these chickens they run out and you're like oh, okay well that's the whole thing one shot it's done but you can still grab one of the giant full whole box published adventures and just choose a tiny piece of it and run that and then if you want to continue with it continue with it you yep. don't actually have to run the entire adventure. You can still run a smaller portion of the adventure while having... Mind you, if you're getting one of the big boxes, there's a little bit more reading to do, a little bit more backstory and lore, but that can also be quite a bit of fun. Yeah, just be careful that you don't get yourself into... You're dropping them into something where they had to figure out these six things from the previous portions of it, and they don't know them because you're dropping them into the middle of it. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um. I would say if you're doing a published adventure, keep in mind what the, the scope of, of, of the adventure is. Um, in other words, like the levels it spans, because that can help you in, help indicate how long it might take to get through it. And, and as we talked about before, maybe you, have a, maybe you have an expiration date, or maybe you're just wanting to try this for one or two sessions. And if you, if you get a, an adventure that, that spans from level one through level eight, and you're like, yeah, we're just going to do two sessions of that. You're you're basically getting everybody involved in this long haul adventure, and then saying, nope, we're done. Uh, so, <laughs> so do pay attention to to that kind of stuff because it is it is important. Unless you can chunk it out to where it is just like a small portion that that can be done in a couple of sessions and and stand alone. Um, I, I would make sure that you're avoiding those longer term ones if you don't know that you are you are in it for the long haul at that point. Yeah, you definitely don't want to get everybody invested into a story 
and then just be like just cut it off just be like and that's where we're finishing today forever um and but you know it'd be good for the publisher because then you know your players would have to go buy the books themselves so that they could read the <laughs> end and, <laughs> so. well and this this all ties back to kind of not even just like whether you're committed to doing the game for the long haul, but but also a little bit to your skills of being able to keep a game together, which as a as a new DM are are probably untested. So um, that's the other thing to keep in mind. It, it may not always be your desire. It may be your ability to keep the uh, the uh, the game on track and moving in the right direction and, and continuing to meet every session, all that stuff. Sometimes keeping everybody on track is uh, probably what I would consider to be the hardest part of DMing. Yep. I've been considering buying like a, a tiny tabletop gong so that when everybody <laughs> just goes off the rails, I can just bong and it just kind of like recenter the, t- the table. You, you need to get like an air horn. <laughs> First put on your earmuffs. Then blow the air, air horn. <laughs> oh, I bet you that you would only have to do that once before people stop talking as soon as you grabbed your earmuffs. Yep. Um, so let's move move on out of out of picking what to play and talk about managing conflict because we did we did mention that that's a a, a fairly unpleasant but but decently sized portion of being a DM, and 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 I do think I do think it is one of the most overlooked. Um, things when considering moving to this role because we all want to think about like the cool fun stuff that you get to do not the stuff that's kind of like (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't find the right word (laughs) no i think i think you did i think you found it so any any thoughts on uh on managing conflict um I I heard something very recently that I I feel like described it perfectly, and I believe it was, er. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but managing conflict with players it's it's something that happens relatively often. If well, I shouldn't I should not say that. I think more often than I thought it was gonna happen would be a more accurate way to put that. Yeah, it uh, depends on the group, and and every group's gonna really have their does. like level. Um, so, mm-hmm. so this comes. We've we've kind of talked about this in uh, in some other places before, but sometimes you do end up with, uh, and I'm not just even talking about just general conflict. Sometimes you do end up with a straight problem player, and part of your job as the DM is to deal with that problem, and sometimes that does result in in removing somebody from the game, and so that's. That was not something that I was very prepared for when uh, when I first started DMing. The fact that I had to kind of resolve this conflict and 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 kind of push everybody past the other side of it. Um, I did end up happening. I did do it uh, because I had to, and it was it was difficult and uh, definitely not super enjoyable. But I did it because, number one, I put so much time into building this story. I'm not just going to toss it away. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was for the fun of everybody and kind of like just keeping the whole group together minus, you know, one person. 
Yeah, and if you're looking for guidance on uh, on dealing with problem players, if we go all the way back to episode 13, we had an episode on problem players and how to deal with certain types of problem players. It's becomingdm.com slash EP13. Um, also recommend doing that session zero so you set those expectations. Again, we talked about that in episode 53. As I mentioned at the beginning of this, there's a lot of episodes that you can re- you can refer to, uh, to, to to help augment this conversation. So becomingdm.com com slash ep53 for that session zero thing um but back to episode 13 i think that the thing that you'll see if you listen to that that we repeat over and over and over again talk to your players if you if you if you have a problem and you see you see issue with something at going on at the table talk to the people involved you may not talk. You may decide not to talk to them at the table because you want to have it be a little less confrontational. But you need to talk to them and, and explain this is a problem. This is why the problem is, and then work together to come to a solution. And if you can't come to a solution, then it may be time to split ways. But but hopefully you don't have to do that. Hopefully by just talking to them. And I, I see so many posts online about about people saying I've got this thing. This player is doing this. I don't know what to do. And they haven't talked to them. And that, that's always what I respond to. Have you talked to your player? You should probably do that. That that should be step one of any, any of these conflict resolution things. Um, so yeah, I get a little passionate about about like, you got to talk to people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of like an interesting little conundrum. Because if you think about like the core of what of what these tabletop role playing games are, the core of what they are is us talking to each other mm-hmm. in imaginary conflicts and so you actually have tons of practice in dealing with conflicts with these exact people but then as soon as it kind of becomes real then everybody's like real emotions and stuff gets attached to it kind of bogs it down a little bit but if it helps give anybody anybody out there just a little bit more confidence in in just just bringing it up and talking to your player this is stuff that you've actually done a lot but instead of it being uh gabo the goblin who's having an issue it's uh you the dm or maybe one of your other players and this is somebody that you have talked to a lot um and and it it shouldn't be that bad yeah and and coming at it from a a player moving into to the dm seat you actually have more experience than somebody that just started as a dm and, and ran as a dm because as a dm in the game your job is to create the conflict that the players are trying to resolve <laughs> as a player you're trying to resolve that conflict so it does involve you having these conversations as the player so if you're moving from seat to seat don't forget those skills because they do come in handy when dealing with these real life conflicts as well <laughs> that's a really good point <laughs> i was just gonna say that so that was uh we were just talking about the managing conflict but i think something else uh, and again another thing that i kind of didn't really have a good enough grasp on when i switched seats um as a player i was always the note-taking player like mm-hmm. i took lots of notes i was always that person and then i switched to a dm and i was like oh this is going to be fine i'm good at taking notes turns out i wasn't as good as i thought i was because as a dm <laughs> i've noticed <laughs> as a dm i've noticed that uh I my note taking not only needs to be better, but it also is a little bit different because as a player, I'm I'm usually kind of uh, trying to read into the story and I'm writing down my ideas of possible solutions to 
Gabo the chicken trader and and what his motivations are. And as much as you can still do that as a DM, um, there were information points that I was not keeping track of properly when I switched seats. And uh, where this became most notable to me was I, I started just getting absolutely blindsided by my players with with these <laughs> with these things that they would say. They'd be like, "Well, you said this, at, I don't know, like a year ago about this chicken trader, and I didn't have it written down anywhere, and I didn't remember saying it, and." I had I had morphed the game past that location, but I forgot that I had landed that as like an actual factoid that my players <laughs> were like hinging all of their decisions on. And I just I just ditched it and moved away from it because I never wrote it down. And and then the entire storyline changed to a place where that little factoid would be nearly impossible to truly exist. And so I don't know. Gobbo the chicken trader all of a sudden now has a twin that just nobody's been talking about. Aha, problem solved. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was so the you... twin all along. <laughs> you know, tropes can come in handy sometimes, folks. And uh, but yeah, so the the differences in the notes that you have to take, um, I found to be very very shocking when I switched seats. You know what's what's really fun and interesting is that if you have players that have <laughs> this sounds kind of weird saying this if you have players <laughs> that have worse memory than you are and are worse at note taking than you are then you're all right <laughs> oh yeah you can get away with so much if uh, if nobody's doing that i i will say that that i have a I have a actually a pretty good memory and and there will be some sessions where I forget to take notes um and I forget to take notes after the session and it will get to be where where it's been a couple of weeks and it's about time to have our next session and I'm like, "Oh, I should probably write up my my session session summary notes because that's something I do for my players because I know that they're not good at taking notes." And <laughs> and and I'll I'll write it up and and usually I do pretty good. But there's always like that one or two things like, oh, what was the detail here? Because if you don't write it down, you're 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 gonna forget something. Oh, it's just yeah. a matter of well, how important that thing is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's how important that thing is, and how important your players are gonna make it. Yep. So that's the other thing is even if it sounds like something that's that's downright irrelevant to you, if you see one player raise an eyebrow at the thing you just said, you should write that down. Because they're going to bring it up sometime in the future, and you're not going to know what they're talking about because that was irrelevant knowledge to you. Yeah, and I think the other the other reason to to do it is is because you need to remember the awesome ideas that you have as you're going through that that maybe you you haven't had the chance to talk about because you just happen to come up with an idea. Um, also, don't forget the the awesome ideas that your players had that you can implement into your story. Because as I oh, as I mentioned, I steal a lot of those from the players. So um, make sure that you're writing it down um, in a way that you're not going to forget it. What, for me, I, I usually try and jot it down at the end of the session, so it's not so obvious that I I heard uh, Dave talk about this and was like, "Oh, I'm going to write that down." <laughs> <laughs> Um, as soon as the session ends, this is something that, that I've just started doing. Well, 
not just started doing, but I started it like a couple of years ago. But uh, as soon as the session ends, I say, you know, that's it. That's a wrap. Um, we'll, we'll stop there for the night. I, I hope everybody had fun, blah, blah, blah. And then I immediately start writing my session notes because mm -hmm. my players immediately start talking to each other and they, they flip from being in game to being out of game. And they start talking about all their meta ideas and their, and their plans and their suspicions. And I'm just writing down my session notes, whether they're talking about the game or not. And I get so much stuff because I don't have to pretend like I'm not listening or that that's super interesting because I was already writing before. Yeah. But most of the time, I'm just writing down the things that they say. My party doesn't do... My players have don't typically do that. They like... They they hear the sessions over. They're like, "Oh, that was that was great," or "That was terrible." Hopefully, most of that was great, and <laughs> and they they like they talk about like real world world, world stuff and then leave. Um, they don't typically they're typically doing all that during the game, uh, theorizing stuff, but they like for some reason turn it off when when we're done. <laughs> that's that's less helpful. That means yes. you got to write it down in session when you're trying to remember other things. Yep. But uh, it kind of just, again, uh, different different parties or groups, I guess, um, play in different ways. And so you kind of got to just test the waters and see what works for you. Another thing that I will, I will also note is, uh, as far as the note taking, if you as a player, the DM gave you some sort of neat object, you probably wrote that down. Maybe sometimes you forgot. Um, the amount of times that I've told somebody you... You've just got uh, you did this this necklace of life saving, or it will literally save your life. That's <laughs> it's, it's only that's what it does. It saves your life. Yada yada. I can talk about it for ten minutes, and they're like, "Sweet, I'm super pumped about this." Yeah, woo, I got this. And then two weeks later, they come up to me and they're like, "Yeah, I've got necklace written down on my necklace sheet. of lurf gurgle." Yeah, what is, Do you what know is what necklace that of is? lurf gurgle? <laughs> yeah, and never never assume that they wrote down the thing that that you were speaking while they were writing don't assume that they're actually writing what you're, what you're saying because a couple of weeks later they're they might come back and ask you what was that thing and push comes to shove you're still the dm and uh, you're the person who made it up if they've completely forgot though you can just uh you can just that's that's the that's the necklace of um tomato growing <laughs> Sorry, it used to be really cool. <laughs> yeah. So if if they truly don't remember, it still actually doesn't matter that much if you remember, but uh you can have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. Um and and we're going to have here in a, I don't know how long, uh but in not too long, we're going to have an episode on campaign management tools where we talk a little bit about how to track some of this stuff, whether it's traditional pen and paper or super fancy software tools or somewhere in between. Um, so make sure to tune back in for that because we're going to talk about how how to how to track some of these nitty gritty details in a way that that um, is findable, is usable, and and can help you uh, in your DMing thing. So uh, we will be coming back to that. Uh, one of Lovely. the other things. One of the other things I think is good for for that whole organization thing, and I do this a lot, uh, is is the uh, locating the monster that you're going to put the party against. And and so what I do is I will I know the 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 type of area that the party is going to be going through. So I will before this is part of my prep. 
before the session, I'll be like, okay, they're going to be in a swamp. So I'm going to scroll, scroll through the books and look for swamp based creatures. When I find one, I'm going to see, is the CR appropriate or not? And do I care? And, and, and I'll write down the creature and the CR and the page. And that way, as I'm going through and I, I, they, they have some random encounter. I don't have to be like, oh, where was the shambling mound again? I know exactly where it is because I can look at my little cut sheet and be like, ah, oh, shambling mound. Here you go. Page 128. I don't know that that's the page, but whatever. <laughs> and, and, and so it, it makes it a lot easier for me to, to manage the game. So I would say that, that that's, that's super handy from a workflow perspective. Oh, it absolutely is. Anything you can do to streamline your productivity, well, I guess not productivity, to streamline your general activities behind the screen is a huge win. And uh, I'm super pumped to talk about, have a whole section, like a whole episode where I just get to talk about organization because it's my favorite (laughs) thing in the world. Well, next to spreadsheets. <laughs> no, but it's on the spreadsheet, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. I think that is what we wanted to talk about for this episode. So just thank you again to Steve for submitting the uh, episode idea. I love it when we get, get uh, topics submitted from listeners just because that makes us sure that we're talking about things that you want to hear about. So if you've got an idea, remember becomingdm.com slash ideas and just let us know. Simple form to fill out. Um, Anyway, if you're transitioning from being a player into DM, best of luck to you. It's a lot of fun. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, We will talk to you in a couple of weeks. And until then, stay nerdy, friends. Stay nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.